have this awareness that um, we're covering a lot of material. And you're probably feeling a little filled up right now. And your butts are probably sore. So um, I, I have this problem when I teach is I flood people with information because I want to give them as much as possible. I know. So I just want to apologize, and it's probably going to continue for the next two classes. <laughs> You know, really, actually, what I'm showing you is about a third. I had to take, oh, hi. I had to take out two-thirds of the information. Uh, so you're actually only getting a bit of what could have been in here. I know that doesn't help. Um, it is okay to ask questions as we go because I may not ever get to the I keep meaning to have a question and answer at the end of each class. I know. So, yes, ask questions. Um. So you took out that all that stuff. <laughs> is it going to be in no. slides when you send them to us? No. But if you have specific questions that you could use some more information on, just let me know and I can add those. Yes. So is it possible to have a child that's a user and like I, I, I hear like that that you can still have been a good parent, that other things Mom yeah. Or if there was some kind of problem, some disconnect that ended up causing the maturity level to stop and they replaced it with the alcohol. So the question you're asking applies to almost everybody that comes in my room. So, like, for instance, if someone comes in and there's been an affair, hello, the person who had the affair is the person who had the affair. Okay, so they're 100% responsible. And you should never look at the wife and go, or the husband and go, well, if you had, then they wouldn't have, right? But that doesn't mean that that individual doesn't have some growth that they can do and some recognition of some factors that they are themselves involved with that didn't cause the use, that didn't cause the affair, but that need to be repaired in the relationships or need to grow in or you look back and you go, you know, I probably could have handled that differently. So growth is always good and it doesn't have to be attached to blame. Um, uh, Robin Widener is coming out with, I'm I, I, I joke with her, how quickly can you write this book? So Robin wrote uh, Secure in Heart and she wrote Eve's Song. Uh, she's coming out with Grace Calls and she, it's, it's the 12 stones, 12 stones. Uh, she doesn't have chapters. She has stones in her book. And it's already, I'm only through a third of it because I'm helping her edit it. And I'm like, ah, okay, please finish. She's, her goal is to have it finished by December. It will be on sale uh, hopefully early next year. And it deals with that exact factor of how can you do your own growth through the pain. You didn't cause what happened, but you can have some areas. They might expose, all of this might expose your weaknesses. And that's good growth. So it's not a causation. You didn't cause this. But that doesn't mean you don't have great areas that, that, that you can grow in. Yes? Let's say you have a friend that struggles with four different addictive personal, like right. uh, addictive things. Yeah. Um, how would you be able to help them recover? Because they switch addictions. You stop one, you start the other. So actually that's what we're going to cover in class five is when people switch addictions. They, uh, the best treatment is to find a treatment center that uh, deals with all the addictions at once because it's an addictive behavior cycle, not just the specific addiction. Very good question. Okay. 
I'm going to jump in. Feel free to raise your hands. You know, Pedro asked, you know, am I asking too many questions? Uh, well, maybe. No. Uh, <laughs> I'll stop you if I don't have the time, and I'll say, come and have a personal conversation with me. Or I'll interrupt you sometimes because I've got to go on. Sorry, I just will. Um, however, feel free to come uh, and ask me or send me personal questions as well if we don't get them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to his new TV shopping restraints, Bob could resist. So, <laughs> so he's got obviously shopping behaviors on 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 the TV shows, you know, and he's having a hard time constraining them. So he buys these lovely devices. <laughs> he buys these lovely devices on the TV shopping network to stop him from doing any more buying on the TV shopping. Heck, now don't miss out on this irresistible offer. Right. So that's what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about treatment and hopefully it won't mean pinning yourself to the couch quite like that. I do want to mention uh, there is a TED Talk that you can watch. I actually don't agree with everything and I can't even tell you what the name of it is. But uh, if you ask me, I'll send you the link. And one of his, uh, he's talking about how um, addiction isn't like what we've known for the last 100 years. It's not about isolate the person. It's about they need connection. I actually, uh, so Guy says this really well, that the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality. The opposite of homosexuality is holiness. I mean, could you, like, market that phrase? Oh, my gosh. If you didn't have not, by the way, I'm so glad you're here. But if you have not heard Guy this weekend, then you better leave one of my classes and go listen to him. Because he, or buy his thing. Uh, he's incredible. So that whole piece of we want to go, uh, to stop this, you, you know, you have to do the opposite. So he makes a very good point in this TED Talk about the opposite of addiction is connection. Now, one of the questions you guys keep coming up with is, so what's the level of healthy connection? So we're somewhat going to hit that as we go into the next two levels. Um, when it comes to treatment, one of the first things you have to realize is where is the person at in their own level of ownership of their addiction? People are at different levels of how much they even realize they have a problem. Yes? Yes, so it's not in the DSM, but is in the literature work on addiction. That's where you'll have the multiple addictive processes where, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll not do narcotics any longer, but then I become um, a food and a exercise addiction, and then I do gambling, and then I do alcohol, and then I do sex addiction, and then I... So it's addictive behaviors. I have an addictive. So it's not in the literature. There's no research on it, but it is pretty much a well-known issue clinically that people have addictive processes, that they just go from one addiction to another. That's why it's important if someone has more than one addiction that they go to a program that will treat both concurrently. So it's what you call concurrent treatment, big time, important. Because then you're, you've got to deal with the fact that they'll switch addictions. They get over their sexual addiction, and then they start doing the alcohol. They get over their eating addiction, but then they start doing this. So it's really important to pay attention to the fact that people will switch back and forth. Okay, so this is what you're going to be looking for. This is actually one of the first things I teach uh, my students is where is the person you're looking at? Where are they at in their own ownership of their 
process of recovery? Do they even use the word, I'm an addict or I'm this? Do they own that they have a problem? If they don't, they may be in what you call pre-contemplation. So this is called the stages of change model. I imagine, do they bring that up in your family treatment at all? Do they do some training on that at all? This is probably the most prominent model out there, is uh, what you call stages of change. So pre-contemplation is where somebody is unaware of their problem. They're not currently considering change. They feel like, you know, ignorant, you know they don't know, and they're fine. Um, so the goal during this level is just to increase awareness of the need for change and to personalize the reality of the risks and the benefits. So when I'm working with somebody at this stage, and so actually most of the people coming into my rehab, this is where they are. Occasionally, my rehab, it sounds like I own it. Um, occasionally, they are farther along because now they've relapsed and they're 30 years into use. But uh, most of the time, they're at pre-contemplation. So the things that I do as a therapist, and so you can consider this in your work with, or not your work, but in your relationships with people, is you have to validate their lack of readiness. Okay, so you're not ready for treatment. Um, my sister, my mother, uh, played kind of the co-addictive and role co-dependent role, and she would keep, you know, you got to go get treatment, and then my, my, my sister as well. So I have different family members that have played that role of you you got to go to this, you got to go to this, you got to go to treatment, you got to go to treatment. You gotta. When someone's in pre-contemplation, they have no belief that they need to go to treatment, and so you go, okay, so that's just not something you're ready to do, and that, that's, that decision is theirs. Now, it may mean that you now have much stronger boundaries in that relationship, and they can't live in your house, and they can't, whatever, but the reality is you cannot force somebody to do good work. Now, that's not true, okay, so if they get caught with their second DUI, they are now forced to go to treatment, right? So one of the big questions about treatment, court-mandated treatment, which is I've, I've, I've uh, well, yeah, they can go to jail. So, um, you know, they actually do. Actually, in the program that I'm in, I can't tell you, this comes in every week where somebody goes, I'd rather go back to jail. Yeah, but there's a lot of reasons for that. So, but the big thing is, is that the only way for people to recover is they've got to make the decision themselves. And so... I just want to show you some of the stages that people go through. The other piece is you can start to see if you can help bring about a reevaluation of their thinking. Uh, so this is the early stage where you're trying to see if you can plant seeds and see if they take it. Um, maybe they are willing to do some self-exploration of their history of use and explain and personalize the risk. So this is what I do. When I have somebody in my um, – oh, I lost my thing – Darn, where'd I put it? <laughs> My laser pointer. Um, when somebody is early on in use and they're pretty clueless, they don't think they're actually involved in use, I do this piece. I, I, I force them to do self-exploration. They're paying me. So I say, um, so do you have a question about whether you are an addict or not? Or do you think you're not an addict or you're pretty sure you are? Like where, you know, what label do you put on yourself at this time? Well, no, I don't think I am. I'm definitely, ha I, you know, I have these issues. Da -da -da -da. And I said, have you ever done a questionnaire or, or, or a, an assessment on whether you have problems with addiction? Uh, no, I don't think I need to do one. Uh, okay, well, you know, um, if that's something you want to do at one point, we can do that. So I lay the seed, and usually within about two to three sessions, I, I've hooked them, I've laid the seed, because I'm doing it as a therapist, and they're spending money on me. So I, I, sometimes they'll do it right away. And so uh, there's, 
the big one I use, it's called the MASS. It's the Michigan Alcohol. Anyway, it's an assessment for alcohol use. Um, you can do the DAST, which is for drugs. You can, there's all kinds of, there's SAST, and it's funny that they all use the same kind of acronym as for sexuality addiction. So I've sat down and said, so, okay, so you want to do that? Okay. And I'm, I'm really casual. So if you come to my office and I do this with you, you'll know what I'm doing. Um, I, and I, I just go through it. There are yes or no questions. And, you know, they feel kind of comfortable because they've only answered a few of them uh, in what shows that there's actually some problems. And then I show them what their score is. And their score is always at moderate to severe use. I mean, I've, I actually had one person who was at mild. Um, uh, everybody else. So it's just really helpful when you have a specific assessment tool that you can just do a little bit of education on, hmm, well, and this is what you call a motivational interviewing tool. So if, if you know anything about therapy, one of the therapeutic techniques is motivational interviewing. So that's a tool straight out of that. Just sit down, do an assessment with them, and, ah, well, this is what your numbers show. You know, very revealing. Yeah. Um, I think what, from my experience is sometimes the cycling can get a little tainted in this because there's sometimes when if it's, if it's drunkenness, They'll go after, you know, some disciples will go after discipleship or just the drunkenness of sin and then call it to repentance and, and give them specific direction or this is what you need to do and this is what you need to do and don't give that person a chance to take personal responsibility. Yes, big, big time. Big time. Um, yes, so that's basically where you're, you're demanding and commanding a change, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Uh, it might work for a month. It might work for a couple months. It might actually work for a few years. But until somebody actually personally owns it, um, that's the difference between extrinsic and intrinsic motivation, where they're externally motivated versus internally motivated. So, big time. Okay. So then, somebody might be at a contemplation stage where they're like, hmm, you know, I think maybe I need to change some things. Uh, they're kind of sitting on the fence. They're not considering change super soon, but they're, they're thinking maybe there should be some change. So the goal at this stage is to motivate that process to get closer to actually pursuing change and encourage them to maybe make some specific plans. So... Okay, so what are some things that you could do? Like maybe, have you ever been to a support group? Maybe just to explore, just to maybe hear other people's stories. Have you ever shared this with somebody that you're close to? So you're just an early, hmm, you may, you know, would you like to, would you like, do you read? Uh, do you like books? Would you like a book to read that might help you explore your questions about where you're at or whether you want to attempt change? Um, there is a lot of reasons why people don't want to change. You know, sometimes they're comfortable in it or sometimes it's, scary the idea of changing so again now you'd validate the lack of readiness at this level they're still they're thinking about it but they're so all right well you're not ready yet but you're thinking about it okay um and again clarifying that the decision is there so notice the language is actually quite similar identify the thoughts that lead to the behavior so this is actually a very cbt technique a cognitive behavioral technique where um okay so behavior is affected by emotions and thoughts and so Ah, so um, I noticed that um, you had this thought last week, and then so that you went and um, used. I don't know if you see a connection between the thought and your use, but I noticed that. Did you notice that? So you're just starting to point out some of the connecting pieces. 
This is huge. This is so helpful. There's actually a tool I use. It's called the Values Clarification Tool. So then you do the deeper piece where what are, who do you want to be as a person? And are the things that you're doing actually reflect that you want to be that? Um, very, very helpful. So then you're staying, then you're actually, you're, you're honoring the fact that they're not ready to work on the change but you're working on the bigger picture, and it, then it brings up all kinds of other motivations when you work on their values uh, to actually pursue change. Identifying the things that mean most of them. Encourage evaluation of the pros and cons. So when they're still like, you know, maybe sometime I will, well, what, what might be some of the negatives? Well, then it will make my best friend say, forget you, I'll never hang with you again if I actually stop use. So that's, that's actually a con of stopping. Okay, you go over those. What are some of the pros? Well, I probably my mother would let me, you know, show up for family functions if I did it. So go and, okay, and then you just leave it. Again, you're just planting seeds at this stage. They haven't yet committed to change. Uh, you identify and promote new and positive outcome expectations for the different roles. So, so you're concerned that if you uh, do this with your friend that they might respond if you quit using or if you pursue recovery, treatment, stuff like that. Um, so, you know, what might be a possible uh, different response than that? Well, they might go, yeah, I need to change too. Okay, so that's possible that they, that, you know, if you take a new role in your relationship, it, there actually might be some positive outcome to it. So, you, again, you're just planting seeds at this stage. You're not actually saying this is what you need to do because, uh, you know, the pearls before swine scripture, if you throw pearls before swine, if you bang your head against a wall, it's not very useful. So at this stage, you're not... You're not doing that. You're not throwing pearls. You're not banging your head. You're just planting seeds, trying to just get some early thoughts going. And when you're saying you, so we're talking right. about somebody that's not in treatment, somebody that's not. Yes, yes. So I'm actually, when I say you, I'm talking about when I'm working as a therapist. However, yes, this would apply too. It's your friend and you're trying to help them. It's your family member and you're trying to help them. But the you is you know, when you're speaking with them, that's where you would use the, you know, you, you may want to think about, you may want to consider. Mm -hmm. what if the you is the wife in a, you know, in a, in a marriage with a husband. Right. Won't necessarily. Won't necessarily, yes. And so one of the things to do for the spouse of an, uh, who the, where the user is not, in any stage of change is go get all the support that you can get. So somebody asked that right actually during the break. You, can, uh, you may need to put up your boundaries really, really clearly and kick them out of the house. You may, so you got to go get your work done. You go get into an Al-Anon group or a something-anon group or a support group for you. And you go get the care, you individually, and then you let them know uh, if we're going to do this, you have to have these things in your life. Otherwise, you can't stay in the home or we can't have this kind of relationship and so on. So the biggest thing is if somebody is in these stages and they're living in your home, you may need to make some pretty strong boundary decisions and then you will get the care for yourself, whether or not they actually end up pursuing care. Okay, so this is where things are moving along a little bit more. This is determination and preparation stage. Uh -huh. I wanted to piggyback on that because you're talking about putting boundaries in place, and those are super important. But I brought up the piece about self-care. Right. If, 
if, if a person is not doing the self-care, right. then they're going to end up enabling the person to just continue in these behaviors. So it's so important because I can't put up a boundary if I don't have the support that I need to keep right. the boundary in place. Right. And so that's actually involved when you actually go get the individual help. You, it's highly important that that help is what do you need to do to cope with all of these things? What do you need to strengthen you in the middle of it? So now at this stage, determination and preparation, some experience with change, and they're trying to change. They're kind of testing the waters. They might have gone to a group, so on. They might be making some plans. You know, I might go ahead and try this out. So they're, they're now actually thinking next week, next month. Um, so your goal is to help them actually put it into practice. Setting, and it's very important, gradual goals. If they jump in whole hog, they may jump out a week later. Some people can do that, kudos, but many can only take small steps at a time. And so when I work with people, okay, what's one thing that you can do this week? Since you want to go ahead and pursue something, well, let's go ahead and do the evaluation tool that you told me about. Okay, we'll do that. I think I'd like to go check out a group. Okay, go once. You don't have to go again. Just go and try it out and see if you hate it. You may have chosen a group that just didn't work for you, and then you go try out a different one. So baby steps. Help them identify their social support, big, big time, on the self-care. Verify that and this is self-care for the person in use. They need to make sure that they're getting uh, lots of other support outside of you. Verify that they have skills to change their behavior. They do. So remember when you were struggling with this and you did this? And so I do think it's there in you. I think you have that ability. Um, encourage those initial small steps. So that's, in the, that's stage three. Stage four is action. So this is somebody who's now actively pursuing recovery. They're practicing these new behaviors. They're starting to actually go to these different things and put things into practice that they're learning. Um, so the goal here is now to have a specific plan. So this is where I, when I, uh, when my action plans and my contracts really start working. <laughs> I do action plans and contracts right off the bat with everybody that I see in any kind of addictive process, but they don't actually own it until they're here. So um, I just make it a requirement. If you want to see me, you have to do these things. The reality is the intrinsic motivation to actually put those things into uh, play may not come until a later stage. And so in that specific action plan, um, teaching problem-solving skills, social support, and how to receive and give feedback is a big part. Specifically on techniques, uh, now we're going to, and I'm going to show you this, the work on triggers is probably the single most helpful piece uh, throughout recovery is how to respond to a trigger. We talked about it with a traumatic trigger in the last class, but um, how to restructure their response to their triggers and how to reach out for social support when they're triggered, how to bolster their self-efficacy. Um, I can do this when they, they come across the different obstacles. Um, how to combat the feelings of loss. Okay, so at this point now you can start working with some of the underlying behaviors. Uh, grief and loss are very real. When someone's been involved in an addiction and now it's destroyed their reputation and their job and their marriage, there's a lot of grief and loss involved and you can actually start to begin working at that at this stage. Um, and then you can reiterate the long-term benefits of, of good treatment, um, which makes a huge difference to an overall improved lifestyle. Um, 
Fifth level is maintenance. So this is somebody who's actually been uh, at action stage for several months. So now they've been going to treatment. They've been going to individual and to group. Um, maintenance, notice the timing, from six months to five years. They're still in early to middle recovery while in maintenance. People tend to think I'm in maintenance, which means I'm recovered. Actually, they're still in early to middle recovery. Very important. So this is the key. What happens is people fall out of treatment during this time. I'm doing better. I'm two years out, three years out. I don't go to as many meetings. I don't go to therapy any longer. I don't read the books anymore. Those are major, major signs for relapse. We're going to look at relapse prevention in just a minute. Um, for most people, they need support for years, if not a lifetime. So AA will definitely tell you a lifetime. It just depends on the program. But regardless of the type of program somebody goes to, they are going to need support for years. And then you, if you're the family member of someone with addiction, are going to need your support for a long time. So you need to, during this stage is where you set up follow-up support. Uh, you reinforce, reinforce internal rewards that, okay, so really the only reward is how you feel. You're like, oh, my gosh, I did it. Like, that's huge. Those internal, intrinsic reasons to keep pushing through to recovery. And then uh, you discuss coping. So that's a big goal in this level. Uh, so this is at six months. Uh, but you're dealing with coping skills the entire time, but you can really zero in on them when somebody has actually been clean for a while. You can really zero in on all the coping skills so that they don't relapse. Oh, dear, and I'm about to die. Would you mind hooking me up here? Don't die, don't die. Okay. Um, now, notice the wording here. Is this a mandatory step? I know. This is the big question that comes up. Why would this be in the stages of change? All right. So there's different thoughts on relapse. People will use the words relapse is a part of recovery. That makes some people very reactive. Like, how can you say that? Because there are people who quit cold turkey and never go back. Okay, so Guy Hammond is like the perfect example. Okay? As disciples, we study, we become Christians, and we never go back. Um, however, sometimes people uh, end up in the same behaviors, what you call a dry drunk. So they may not actually be using, but they may actually go back to some of the same behaviors. Uh, that caused the use. However, regardless of how people view relapse, relapse happens all the time for the majority of people, and it can be years out. What you'll see with uh, people here at church is you'll see them, they become a Christian, they stay clean for several years, then they get married. And Within months, they relapse. There's just you know, it's not the marriage's fault. The reality is, did they stay at their level of treatment, their level of openness? Does the spouse even know? So one of the big things is to, for the individual, 
to know is that relapse is actually super common and you have to, okay, Guy, uh, who got to hear Guy's stories about all the, all the boundaries he puts around himself in dealing with, who got to hear that part? Okay, yeah, listen to his thing. So Guy talks about, uh, in, in so that he's not homosexually acting out, uh, he doesn't sleep in, uh, he doesn't share um, a hotel room with a guy. He hasn't for 28 years. When he travels, when he goes to conferences and it's four guys to a room, he gets his own room. He doesn't, he didn't for several years after becoming a Christian, he didn't use public restrooms because most of his acting out happened in the public restrooms. So he didn't use public restrooms for years. Um, I mean, I, I could, ugh. we always joke, Guy could just teach a lesson on how to repent, you know. <laughs> so uh, one of the things that happens during relapse is how to learn reassess, plan stronger coping strategies. Relapse is an opportunity for huge amounts of growth. What people will feel is they've totally fallen from grace and there's no help, and then they'll spiral and they'll actually get worse and they'll end up in worse behaviors. What's actually helpful about making relapse a part of the change process is instead of spiraling worse, you know, whether it's that you ended up gambling or whether you ended up eating or whether you ended up going back to cocaine or alcohol or whatever, instead of spiraling down, up everything. Go to more meetings. This is your opportunity for growth. Be more open. Accept the fact that you blew it. Thank God you're washed clean every single day as a disciple. Be open immediately. Tell all the details to the person you trust. And then gain. How did I get there? How... Dang, how did that happen? What snagged me? And learn what your trigger was and that you didn't use your action plan when you got triggered. Um, I can't tell you the number of times. So we laid this out in your action plan. So when you wanted to reach, and I talk about the reach. This is James 1, 13. When the pull, when you start feeling the pull, what did you do? What was your plan? You know, James 1, 13 talks about how the desire that drags you away so what was the desire that pulled at you? Okay, what are you going to do? So that action plan, you're going to call your friends, you're going to go work out, you're going to go for a walk, you're going to talk to your spouse about it. Did you do those things? No. You didn't put your action plan into practice, and so you relapsed. So now, the next time you want to reach for that use, what are you going to do? So it's an opportunity for growth, hopefully, so that they don't end up spiraling. Yes? Right. Ten. Yep. Yep. They start coming. They start coming back. Yep. As a person, how do you? I mean, you just go back to the beginning and sit them down. Yes. 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 You bring up the past, like ten years before. No. So what I do is I bring up, these are triggers, and I bring up a list. And so I give people the list. And I say, show, you know, say, you just said this just the other day. And this was the thing that you did just the other day. And this was the behavior that I saw. So I I just thought I'd share with you that these are signs for relapse. And they're going to get mad because they're already probably in a negative stage. It may not stop the relapse, but it sometimes will absolutely make people go, Oh, my gosh. So um, a lot of what I do when, I, when I'm working with people is they'll say certain phrases that are phrases on my list of relapse signs. And I'll go, you know, you said three of those phrases in our, in our uh, session today. I did. 
So I don't know if you're aware, but those are all signs. Red, red, major red flags for relapse. You're actually in the midst of about to relapse. No, I'm not. I'm never going to use again. I'm just letting you know you are in the midst of a red flag. You're about to relapse if you don't catch it. So you may not be able to do that as a family member, but then you can send them to somebody hopefully they'll listen to or to a book that they'll read, or you can send them my email address and I'll send it to them. You know, they can hear it from a professional. Uh, it's not usually useful to go, remember when you did that? If they're at a point of already contemplating all those things, they can't hear that. Uh, what I, I Actually, what I do is I call third-personing it. Uh, take them out of it and go, well, this is what they say in the field of addiction recovery. Here you go. I thought I'd share it with you. This is what they say. They, third-person it. Make it not about them. I just thought I'd share this with you. I went to this class, and here you go. You're, plant, you're back to pre-contemplation and contemplation and you're planting seeds. And it's really, really, really painful to be back in that spot. So uh, what I do when I'm working with people is I'm evaluating what the trigger was. I'm reassessing their motivation and what the barriers were. And I help them with stronger coping strategies. Okay. This is some of the common stuff for uh, treatment is you want to, Pay attention to biological factors, psychological factors, trauma, and social factors. What that means is in the past, remember I showed you, you know, moral, all those different uh, versions of, um, of how to treat through the years. This is the common model today, which you call a biopsychosocial model. Um, there are different types of groups. There's psychoeducational groups. There's skill development groups. There's support groups. There's interpersonal process groups. Don't read all these words on here. You can take this, give, send me an email, and I'll send it all to you. There's different types of groups for treatment, and you really want to be aware of that. There's different models. You can do family therapy. You can do community interventions. You can do cognitive behavioral therapy. You can do what they call TCs or therapeutic communities. Um, Stanton Peel, he goes at it a completely different way. He doesn't actually use the addiction model. He uses drinking in moderation. That's a huge, huge, huge question in the field. I'm mean, even, even by saying it right now, about three quarters, nine tenths of you have gone, what? So, understandably so. Actually, the person who, uh, who started out the moderation movement, then she ended up majorly relapsing and killing someone in a car wreck. So, yeah, you know, that's why it, the AA was all over that one going, see? So, you know, there's problems with different views of treatment. There is combined medical and psychotherapy treatments where you actually use drugs to get somebody off of a drug. Benzodiazepines, okay, remember the BZ, and I showed you the pictures of it. Benzodiazepine is actually alcohol in a pill. It does the exact same thing to the body. They actually use benzodiazepines to slowly bring people uh, off of alcohol so that they don't end up dying in the process of withdrawal. So using uh, medical treatment in the midst of uh, psychotherapy can be quite helpful. Uh, specifically with alcohol, uh, people will use antabuse, which is a drug that they take that makes them feel revoltingly ill if they take a sip. So. Yes, a lot of courts require it, actually. And it's useful. So this is actually what happens. I actually worked with an individual where he was so determined to drink that he kept hiding his anabuse pills uh, for a couple, because you, you have to actually stop taking it for a few weeks so that he could go and drink. And I'm like, well, you got, you got what you wanted. <laughs> so quick questions, yes. Um, so my friend, she 
Right. Um, one of the biggest pieces with, again, the co-occurring is that the level of support has to go up pretty high because there's usually underlying stuff to those kinds of behaviors. And if you're not treating the underlying reasons for why they're actually engaging in those behaviors, then you're just going to be putting a Band-Aid on the situation. And so, uh, again, uh, group work, individual group, family work, all very, very, very important. Yes. Oh, sorry. Yes. Going backward to the uh, relapse, yeah. Do you think that there's a certain amount of um, the mindset where, well, if everybody already thinks I'm going to relapse, then I'm just—it almost gives me permission. Yes. Yep. So I mean, that's a tight. That's actually why that piece in there is like, uh, should I even say this is a part of treatment? Because yes, people will do that, but that has to do with the building of intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. Uh, if people are in the spot where they'll take things as a reason to go back to use, it's not about the particular model. It's about where they're at, actually. Okay, so I am going to hit some other stuff, and then we're going to have these guys come up and share about how they pursued treatment. There's different models. Um, this is actually here in San Diego. You can actually become a part of a CRA or a craft program. Um, it's different than, uh, it, it does involve some 12-step pieces, uh, but it's quite different than that. It's focused on uh, behavioral techniques that combine uh, operant conditioning, which means behavioral, teaching new behaviors uh, in within the social system that they live. So go get a new job, go find a hobby, find other things. It's a great program. Uh, this is some of the research. So the CRA group was was drinking 14% of the days in the six months after treatment, and the 12-step group was drinking that 79%. <laughs> um, there's, there's hardly any research, actually, on AA. AA is an incredible program. However, there's just not a lot of positive research. There's not hardly any research on it. Uh, it has literally saved people's lives. So, But there are other forms of treatment that you can actually dually engage in or individually engage in. CRAFT is the family version, family therapy, the FT. Um, brought treatment resi resident individuals into therapy 64% compared to 30% for the Johnson Institute, which is an, which is an AA program, and 13% for Al-Anon, um, because they specifically work on the family variables. Okay? So we're going to talk about some family treatment. If you guys can come on up. treatment is, is a little different um, for, well, you know, dealing with the younger kids, because when my son was 15, uh, he was going to go to group. I didn't have to, you know, I mean, we told him he was going to group. Um, so it's a little different, because we can make him go. We can't make him stay sober, but we can make him, we can do things, uh, take off his door, take his clothes, different types of things to help um, Persuade Extrinsically motivated. That's the word okay, I was looking for. I didn't know that word. word before we got here. <laughs> um, I think two of the most important things to have as as parents, anyway, is the support and the tools. Because, like I said in the last uh, session, you know, we're good parents, but we don't have the tools 
to parent an addict. So it's so important to get the tools and to have the support to know how to use those tools. Yep. Um, it's, it's easy to sit in this class and, and get all the information and think, I can go home and I'm going to put this into practice. But then you, uh, you, know, you confront your loved one or, or you try to come in from behind somehow and, and they, uh, they react. And then you don't know what to do. But having that support um, to guide you in, 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 the, in that process is so important. Um, we, we were really lucky. Like I said, we, we were told that we had to go to support group so that Tanner could stay in school. We ended up in a support group that is so phenomenal. Um, some of you may have heard of Will Wooten. He, um, he writes for the newspaper. He has written this book. Can you say the name of the book, please? Uh, bringing your team, bring your team back from the brink. And actually, on Facebook, I just saw today they came out with the second edition of it. Yep. Um, can you get the water? Sure. Uh, this kind of took away a lot of my excuses. It helped me to identify um, a lot of the behaviors that my son was doing. It helped me to realize that I wasn't crazy and that I was a, you know, an active parent um, of a teen who liked to do drugs. Um, we started with a support group. It was a great group of um, parents and the kids. And it was one thing that you said, like, uh, he did one-on-one, -on -one and he did group therapy with other kids, intensive outpatient. Um, but a lot of that stuff that they would talk about would then come out in our... So you were involved in... He was involved in individual treatment. Yes. Himself. He was going to therapy for himself. Correct. He was in a group of adolescents for treatment, so Correct. his own group... And you were, in, as a family, involved in a multi-family group treatment. Okay, so that's a perfect example of hitting all the levels. And it was a lot of time. <laughs> a lot of time. But you know what? Our kids are worth it. You, there's, you can't, you'll never get that back. So um, during the initial time, um, you know, Tanner really changed a lot. And because of a lot of his behaviors, because a lot of addictions you know, stem from behavioral issues, um, his behavior started to change. And it was really amazing. Uh, but Tanner, it, you know, he can be, well, he's difficult. Anyway, we love him. He's a good kid. Yeah, please do. Okay, so one thing I'd like to add when she talks about his behavior is he was very uh, verbally abusive. He wouldn't swear, but his attitude towards Gina was really bad. He, he, I, uh, he wouldn't talk to me or treat me that way. And a lot of the problems we had with our relationship, his and mine, was that because I would stand up and say, you're not going to talk to your mom that way. But I, I just thought it was important for you to understand what his behavior issues were. Thank you. Um, one, of the, one of the really important things, as moms um, and as loved ones, you know, it's so important for us to understand that we, no amount of love can change the person that we love from this addiction. We cannot love it out of them. And as moms, it is our nature to nurture. And there, it's so important that we... 
that it goes against our nature, but we have to do it. That tough love is critical. My son is almost, well, he's going to be 19 in a couple of weeks. Uh, he has not been living with us for the last almost year and a half because he has chosen to pursue these things. Um, he does not believe that he has a problem. We have done everything that we can, and we have been committed to each other, committed to our family. All the boys have gone through something similar. They've all gotten treatment. The two older boys are doing very well. They're back home um, and, and moving forward with their life. We pray for those things uh, with Tanner. Um, but we have to continue to put up those boundaries. We have to continue to get the support. There are days when I feel weak, when I pick up my phone, and I, I start texting him, and I delete the text. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, he doesn't have a phone right now, so it's really hard anyway. But, you know, we're still in the battle, and we are still continuing to educate ourselves, to take care of our marriage, to... Um, even with, you know, put up those boundaries with our other sons. Make sure that we're checking in with them. How are you doing? Are you staying clean? You know, here's a drug test. So um, all of these things have been important therapy for us. And, and we're still, again, in the middle of it. It's been three and a half years, but we have not given up. And we will continue to fight for our sons. Um, I want to make one more comment. Uh, you actually also did couples therapy some, right? You actually had some in, some couples time, oh, yeah. just the you two know, of you. That's on my note right here. Yeah, so, they, so you guys have actually done four different layers of his uh, individual, his group, your family group, and then you guys as a couple. And that so. was what was great about Will, is that when I was feeling very strongly one way, and he was feeling very strongly one way, we would just call Will, and he'd say, come and see us tomorrow. Yes. Do you know if there are any drug tests that you can use? Yes. And at home, yes, there are. Okay, because, yeah, we don't know. They, yeah. I mean, Will would always administer those tests. And we're very clear to our kids now that if you live in the household, you're going to get drug tests. And, and when they say, well, you don't trust me, absolutely we do. And we're going to confirm and prove because I'll trust wherever you are. And that's just the way it is because, again, that brings back to what Gina said in the first class about the manipulation and everything like that. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to, to say about the, the group that we went in, I'll just touch a couple things really briefly, is, is you kind of go at different times of phases when you go to the group and you don't know anything and you're kind of relying on everybody else and you're learning from everybody else. But then there's an importance as well as sometimes I still go back to the group even though Tanner doesn't go because of what I can contribute to the group. So it kind of self-perpetuates through that. And so that's really it, paying, it, it forward. It, paying it forward. But it, it's, it's also an important part of the process. And then I was going to just touch on that, too, about there was a couple times, I mean, like I said, Gina and I do have a great relationship, but there was a couple times where we were definitely on the opposite side of things, and one of us, you know, thought that it was okay to let up a little bit on, on something, and the other one wasn't. And, and it's great knowing that you have someone that you've built a relationship with and a trust with that you respect. A professional. A professional that you can go to 
and mediate, and then it was done when yeah. when when he helped talk us through what it was, and it was usually one of us wasn't following or didn't want to follow the level of the, uh, I'm not saying that, <laughs> the boundaries that were set for our kids. Nurture, that, love. That, that it was good for him to walk us through it and bring us back to that, and then we let it go. You know, we it, it was a great feeling. So. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. What was wanted? Okay, we are gonna. There's a couple things that I haven't hit yet. I'll add them on to. I kind of made the last session kind of short in case I needed to cover a few things. So yeah, I know, I know, I didn't repent. Um, so go ahead and have a great lunch, and we'll see you.